broadcast it live. There are balls coming from all over the place. Left field, center field, right field. See, this this is the kind of thing, quite honestly, right now, that makes you want to see the Chicago Cubs team lose. Now, are you just saying you want to have fun, or do you really want to have fun? It'll be fun. Will the next person that sees anybody throw anything onto this field, point them out, or get them out of here. You don't live in Cleveland. You talking to me? You talking to me? That is the farthest thing in the universe from the truth. Hello, everyone. Live, it's the Dan Scott Show. And right there is your host, Dan Scott. All right. Welcome to uh, another bit of radio slash podcast madness i am dan scott good to have you along with us if you're listening to us on wzla in abbeville on the radio we welcome you and remind you we're part of the evening drive sports show family i'm going till 5 30 today and then lee collins will be along with you from 5 30 until 7 p.m if you're listening strictly on the Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast. This is episode 15, and uh, we've got a lot of good stuff to get to on the program today. Going to do things a little bit differently today. Dave Glenn, who's normally with us in the second half of uh, our get-together, is going to be part of the opening segment this time because we've got a very special interview we're going to get to in the uh, second half of the show slash podcast. I need to tell you that the podcast version of this is brought to you by our friends at Todaro Pizza. Uh, located at um, on Markley Street in uh, downtown Greenville, the West End, just down this block from Floor Field at the West End, where the Greenville Drive hope to be playing baseball in April. They have uh, phenomenal pizza. If you're not from the area and you're coming in to visit, then you need to put Todaro Pizza on your bucket list. They actually have uh, the original upstate location in Clemson on Sloan Street. Brother Chris has run that for ages. John is now... Uh, in charge of the new Markley Street location in Greenville, and it is going like gangbusters. The food is phenomenal, the atmosphere is great, and the people are even better. Todaropizza.com is the website, T-O-D-A-R-O, pizza.com, for the menu, the operating hours, all the specials, everything is there. And they also have a Facebook page, Todaro Pizza Greenville. You can find them there and uh, interact with them that way. We thank them for continuing to sponsor our podcast. Well, as mentioned, uh, Dave Glenn will be coming up. There, you know, there's a lot going on in the sports world, and I'm assuming Lee Collins is going to get into a lot of it today. Dustin Johnson just won the Masters uh, yesterday as we're recording this. Will Muschamp has been fired by the University of South Carolina. That's big news in this state. Uh, but we had some other things already planned for this, including a very special interview in the second half of the show. I'm from the state of West Virginia, as most of you know, and November 14th does not get by every year without a solemn remembrance that that was the day that the Marshall University plane crashed coming back from Greenville, North Carolina, and 75 people were killed. This past Saturday was the 50th anniversary of that crash. One of the people who lost their lives in that tragedy was Gene Morehouse, the play-by-play voice for Marshall University at that time, his son Keith Morehouse, who works at uh, as a sports director at WSAZ-TV in Huntington and Charleston, West Virginia, will be with us in the second half of our get-together today to talk about that 50th anniversary. And, and you're not going to want to miss this. There's some pretty good stuff in there. That is coming up in the second half of the show. After the break, though, Dave Glenn will join us, and we'll go around the Atlantic Coast Conference and beyond with some news out of the NCAA on the name image likeness controversy. That's all coming up as we are just getting started here today. We'll be back and get it all rolling right after this. All right, welcome back to the show slash podcast. I am Dan Scott. 
mentioned that we're doing things a little bit backwards today. Coming up in the second half of the program normally is Dave Glenn. He is going to be with us in this segment because I've got a very special interview that uh, I actually recorded uh, late last week, but uh, Saturday was the 50th anniversary of the tragic Marshall University plane crash. And if you're from the state of West Virginia, like I am, that November 14th every year is is not a date that goes by without pausing to uh, pay some remembrance to those 75 who lost their lives. Keith Morehouse will join us in the second half of the show. He uh, is the uh, sports director of WSAZ Television in the Charleston-Huntington, West Virginia area. His dad, Gene, was the play-by-play voice for Marshall and was one of the 75 killed in that plane crash. So uh, we'll be talking with Keith Morehouse coming up here in just a moment. However, we have other business to attend to first. As mentioned, Dave Glenn... Why you <laughs> turn up the radio? We're moving very quickly today, as you can hear. My iPad has lost its mind. That that is Dave Glenn's theme, I promise you, and he is here with us. Uh, flexibility is good on Dave's part. My iPad doesn't like it so much, but Dave, how you doing? I'm doing great, Dan. I would I would suggest you and Tom and I, you know, just forming a band quickly and singing "Turn Up the Radio," but I don't want to alienate your audience. <laughs> Man. No, we, we 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 enjoy both of our listeners, and and we want them to want them to hang around. Uh, how, how was golf in the great state of South Carolina last week? It was great. I thank you and all other Palmetto State residents because uh, one of my best childhood friends and I, uh, along with some others, enjoyed uh, several days in the Myrtle Beach area. True Blue was one of my highlights. Beautiful course, Arrowhead. We played as well. We also played uh, on the North Carolina side of the border. But, uh, man, what a great week for us. Uh, All but one day was beautiful weather. And then, heck, you know, Dustin Johnson wins the Masters, representing the great state of South Carolina. Will Muschamp gets fired by the Gamecocks, man. It was a big week way beyond us uh, hitting the ball into the woods. I guess if you're going to get fired, of course, this has nothing to do with the ACC but you might as well get fired when you've got a payout that's estimated, a buyout that's estimated somewhere between 13 and $15 million. That is correct, and that is, I've been following this stuff for a long time, that is one of the largest buyouts in the history of college sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, not an exaggeration. It is somewhere in the national top ten, uh, and of course it usually happens with football coaches. How many years do you have left? What did the contract language say you're owed if you were fired? Uh, sometimes these coaches negotiate for really good terms where they get every last dollar. Um, it's it's a, a South Carolina program that, as you guys know, has tried hard and spent a lot of money for a long time, but has very rarely been able to get over the hump, and this is just one more step back. Well, that's another story for uh, another time. We want to focus on uh, the ACC and some other things going on. Uh, Dave, let, let's... Let's start basketball-wise. We're two weeks away from games. Uh, the the uh, conference schools pretty much now have all released what their schedules they hope are going to look like. And lo and behold, COVID rears its ugly head. We get the news that Jim Beheim, the uh, veteran elderly coach of Syracuse, uh, announced, that, I think it was yesterday, that he has COVID. Yeah, and as we speak, Syracuse's basketball opener – is 11 days away, you know. So will Jim Beheim, depending on the exact timing of his diagnosis and recovery, will he be available, assuming that home game against Bryant is played? Uh, probably not. Um, the good news, if you're looking for a silver lining, is Syracuse adopted a while back a really comprehensive COVID approach where – They actually, coaches, players, and even managers have been wearing wristwatch-like devices that actually measure how close you are to the other people wearing these devices. And they actually start beeping if you're within six feet or so of someone else in the program. And the bottom line is, whereas you might think, well, of course Jim Beheim has been in close proximity to most of his players over the last couple weeks before he knew what he had. It's not that simple. And there is actually a computer program and they've, uh, they've drawn up their practice plans in a way 
so that if a single person tests positive, it does not mean automatically that there's this domino effect where half the team is unavailable, which obviously would complicate their opener in 11 days. It's scientific, it's thorough, it's computer-generated, and whereas I believe Syracuse announcements said that one other person in the program, I don't think they specified whether that's a player, manager, assistant coach, uh, you can miss, you can play a game missing a coach and a single player if it's a player. Um, and, and it's a credit to Syracuse and the protocol for the ACC that this one piece of bad news does not automatically mean uh, the postponement or cancellation of a game. Tom? Well, Dave, is that part of the situation in terms of trying to schedule non-conference games? Because not everybody can do what you just mentioned at Syracuse from a financial standpoint. True. So are you going to want to play some smaller team that comes in and you have no idea about uh, their particular situation? That's why different schools have taken different approaches for sure. Everything is crazy, as we all know. This is just a, an anomaly of a year. Uh, the bottom line is they know they can't do a bubble the way the NBA and the NHL had successful bubbles. There's going to be indigestion. There's going to be cancellations. There's going to be postponements. We just saw it with a crazy weekend in college football. I and mean, if you're used to holding the remote control on the Saturday, you didn't have nearly as many options as you usually do because there were a whole lot of games postponed or canceled. That indigestion is absolutely positively coming to college basketball season. Uh, but the hope is that, you know, A, you don't have any tragedies. I mean, Jim Beheim is a man who turns 76 years old tomorrow mm -hmm. and is a cancer survivor. Yep. If you want to talk about who's higher risk and who's lower risk, he's the oldest head coach in the history of Division I men's basketball. 76 tomorrow, cancer survivor. That's high risk by definition. So, of course, you hope for the safety of everybody. But beyond that, you want to get in as many conference games as you can. It's almost like those who scheduled non-conference games, that's gravy. You know, that's like some of these ACC football teams. They're not happy to lose a non-conference game when they scheduled one. But many did, and you shrug it off. And you just hope as many teams can play these 10 this year ACC football league matchups because, you know, you, in football you don't have as much of a true championship game if everybody doesn't play their conference games. And I think there's going to be a similar mentality in basketball. Those, those non-conference games are just sort of the cherry on top, and you hope you avoid at a time where obviously COVID numbers are exploding in our country. Uh, you just want to play as many of those conference games as you can. And, and the biggest thing for college basketball is that they got to play an NCAA tournament this year. Uh, well, this coming year, because uh, that is the cash cow for that organization, and they can't go two years in a row without it. Well, how about the suggestion of a former ACC coach, uh, now the coach of Iona, uh, Rick Patino, who said, hey, let's just delay it and let's play basically in the spring and let's have May Madness instead of March Madness. I would be okay with that, and I think the science would be in favor of that as well. I mean, we've been told by the scientists since the spring that the winter was going to be really hard. And there's not going to be a widespread distributed vaccine, even if this great recent news is true, that the mass distribution is not going to happen until at the earliest, you know, the spring of 2021. So if you do push back the timetable, you give more time for the vaccine to be distributed and you get it's kind of like I have two children in college right now. Those universities are sending the kids home at Thanksgiving rather than having the fall semester go all the way into mid-December, and they're not taking the kids back until late January. So your kids are home from college for roughly a two-month period. That is not a coincidence. These universities knew that the science of COVID and the winter and other variables were going to make numbers explode to what degree they weren't sure, but they were going to explode on college campuses as well. To, to sort of reboot at the end of January seems like a safer time. And right in tune with Rick Pitino's idea, uh, the, the, the landscape looks more workable the more you push back the timetable. Uh, but I haven't seen a strong groundswell of support for his idea, even if it is a good one. Dave Glenn with us as we uh, talk all things Atlantic Coast Conference and beyond. 
here on the show and the podcast. Um, the the uh, other major piece of side effect news from COVID when we're talking about the upcoming college basketball season, if it goes off on time, Dave, they're not going to be any fans at Cameron Indoor. No yeah. Cameron crazies for the 2021 season. Yeah, it's bizarre, and they're not going to be the only one. They're the only, they were the first to announce. But Syracuse, for example, which plays in its own legendary arena, uh, is under state restrictions. So that, until those are lifted, they can't sell tickets to home games. So it'll be interesting to see. I think some schools are going to have a very small percentage of fans. But, you know, you guys know, having been in this industry for as long as you have, we've all met sports fans who in some cases think that we have magical connections to tickets to all things, you know, oh, you work in sports, Tom, you work in sports, and can you hook me up with and then fill in the blank? Well, I have met people truly internationally whose bucket list sports item is a Duke Carolina game in Cameron Indoor Stadium, and I've covered dozens of those, and it is about as good as it gets in what I've covered college sports for 34 years. Uh, and no, I usually can't get anybody tickets to that, but I'll miss that atmosphere. Those players go to Duke in part for that atmosphere. The visiting players often talk about looking forward to that atmosphere, even though it's going to be hard on them because they know it's the pinnacle of the sport in many ways. So who knows how that flushes out competitively speaking, but you'd think the home court advantage would not be quite as good because I've been in that building where Duke's in the middle of a comeback. And I mean, you're, body is vibrating because there are so many people screaming so loudly cramped into such smaller quarters and you're, you're wondering how the visitors are going to survive this tidal wave of noise and emotion and momentum and you can't possibly generate that if you don't have fans in the stands tom yeah i was going to say that probably means what you were talking about there is you can't go Media members can't go. Right. I mean, there'll be some television, I, I'm sure, somehow, some way. Some of them doing from from their home. Some are on site. So, yeah, it, that's just got to be an incredibly eerie feeling, I would think. It is weird. I mean, what are you going to do, right? It's just a continuation of the weird. Expect the unexpected. That's just that was the rule starting in March of this year. I think it's going to remain the rule maybe through March of 2021. I think that's just the reality. We're watching football games where the play-by-play -play man and the color commentator are in two different places. Yep. And they're stepping on each other accidentally because they don't have the same kind of body language that they may have had over years of doing games together where you're, you're truly next to each other, chair to chair. And you can sort of motion when you want the other guy or person to speak. Uh, there have been the on-field reporters in college football. I imagine we'll have you know, some version of that maybe in college basketball. But, yeah, expect the unexpected. These schools are all retaining the right to change their rules going forward. If Duke saw what it wanted to see by February, I mean, it could change its rules. Uh, the state of New York might change its rules at some point. But, yeah, for now, I think fans should and media – should have very, very low expectations for their access to the great sport of college basketball. Let's shift gears here very quickly and, and uh, talk some ACC football. Defense optional uh, in, in the league, especially where wow. uh, North Carolina and Wake Forest were concerned. Sam Howell had a record-setting performance in that comeback win over Wake Forest. Yeah, he's special, Dan. I think he might end up being the best quarterback ever produced by the University of North Carolina. And they, of course, did have Mitch Trubisky drafted high in the first round by the Chicago Bears just a few years ago. But this guy's the real deal. Uh, only Lamar Jackson in the history of ACC football had ever had six touchdown passes and one touchdown run in the same game. And Lamar did it in a non-conference game. So Sam Howell of Carolina is the first to ever do it in a conference game. And he did it against Wake Forest. You know, that's, that's a decent team. That's not, you know, Syracuse is horrible this year. Georgia Tech and Florida State are bad this year. Wake Forest is a nice, solid team, well coached by Dave Clawson. So it's a credit to Sam Howell and the rest of that offense. You know, Carolina is loaded on that side of the ball, as we've been talking about since, heck, uh, the middle of the summer. The heels are a little inconsistent defensively. And that's why they're behind Notre Dame and Clemson and Miami. You know, 
It looks like we're going to see Tigers-Irish, the rematch in the ACC title game. The Hurricanes still do have a chance to sneak in there, uh, but Carolina is the other most dangerous team in this league, and Sam Howe is right in the middle of that. Well, Dave, can North Carolina become a factor down the stretch? I mean, they play Notre Dame. They play at Miami as well. Yeah, I was trying to do that math in my head, Tom, and I think the problem is we all expect, we all expect Clemson to be one of the two, of course. Even if Carolina beat Notre Dame in Chapel Hill and then went to Miami and beat the Hurricanes, yep. the, the Heels would be 8-2 and two in conference play, and they'd have wins directly over other the other teams in the mix. They don't play Clemson, of course, during the regular season. I think the problem is, you know, Clemson would be 9-1, and one, hypothetically. And unless – if Notre Dame, let's say, lost to the Tar Heels, unless yep. Notre Dame also lost to, say, Wake Forest in Winston-Salem, mm-hmm. they're going to be 9-1. and one. Even if the Irish lost to both the Tar Heels and the Deacons to fall to 8-2, and two, tying the Tar Heels record in our hypothetical here, I think the first tiebreaker would be head-to-head. Um, uh, the Tar Heels would hypothetically win that, but you'd, you'd need the Deacons to beat the Irish to even yeah. give that scenario. And then you'd have to hope that, you know, Miami falls out of the picture as well. Uh, it's an unlikely road, but the Tar Heels do, they're, they're one of only four teams still in that mix is one way to put it. So they feel good about that. They just know that they're number four in the pecking order and they have the narrowest road to get there. Dave, before we wrap it up, um, let's go a little broader outside the confines of the Atlantic Coast Conference. On Friday, the NCAA, using your term that you used before we started uh, recording, uh, provided us with a news dump uh, late on Friday afternoon in which they unveiled their first vision of what a name-image-likeness proposal looks like. Uh, You you had a chance to digest it a little bit. What do you think? Yeah, I think the bottom line, Dan, is that as predicted by most critics of the NCAA, they put out their initial version of what our new world is going to look like, keeping the concept of amateurism, but sort of expanding what these young people are allowed to accept from third parties um, as prominent athletes in many cases. The NCAA doesn't give up power easily. The NCAA doesn't just give student-athletes more out of the goodness of their own heart. They usually need to be pressured by public conversation, by the United States Congress or somebody else. So this initial version put out on Friday is not as expansive as, say, some of these state laws that have already adopted this new world. The, The main things to remember are, A, the NCAA is on the clock some of these state laws kick into effect this coming summer. So they've got to figure out their new model nationally. Otherwise, the rules are going to be different in different states, and nobody wants that. Nobody wants the University of Florida playing by the state of Florida rules and teams in South Carolina playing by South Carolina rules. And, and you know, it would, it would be chaos, and even the NCAA doesn't want chaos. The other things to remember are this is only an initial version. And those fighting for student athletes are going to pressure these schools. You kind of, the NCAA puts out an initial version and invites feedback from member institutions. So you're going to see in the coming month or two, universities offer amendments, if you will, that are going to be more expansive on what these student athletes are going to be allowed to take. But you're going to see athletes on billboards getting paid for it. You're going to see athletes doing autograph sessions and getting paid for it. You're going to see athletes host their own summer camps and getting paid for it. Uh, many of the other details are still being debated, but the world is going to change by the summer of 2021. Um, and I think the ultimate version of reality is going to be kinder to student athletes than what the NCAA put out in you know kind of its initial offering on Friday afternoon. I guess the question, or multiple questions about it, but the, the one that kind of jumped to the front of my mind as you were talking is if they were looking for feedback, if this is just an initial idea, why put it out publicly? Why not just send it privately to the member institutions who have to vote on it uh, and and get the feedback that way? Why open themselves to public scrutiny over something that is not 
uh, going to be the final version of whatever we get? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure if the answer to that is this is how the NCAA does things by their bylaws. I, I am not sure of that. So I don't want to steer you wrong there. I do know that, and you guys know this, the NCAA does pay attention to which way the wind is blowing in the court of public opinion. So the downside of this initial thing becoming public is the criticism on shows like yours and columns and, uh, and every other corner of the media landscape these days. But they also know, for example, members of the United States Congress have already reacted to this publicly. So they get to read how various members of Congress are viewing their initial proposal. The NCAA wants Congress to get involved, but only wants Congress to get involved if Congress will write the future of college athletics with, uh, you know, the NCAA sort of in the co-pilot's chair, you know, tweaking whatever that model is going to look like. So it's, it's a fascinating dance, but I do think there is an upside to seeing how bad uh, the, the public feedback is. Um, and there's an upside to transparency as well. Uh, you know, the NCAA gets criticized for a lot of reasons, many of them legitimate. But um, in this case, given the, the important nature of this issue, I think transparency was the right way to go. Tom, anything final for Dave? I was going to say, Dave, it'd be nice. It's not going to happen if you could ever go back instead of discussing some of the things we discussed today. <laughs> go back to, hey, Florida State on his fourth quarterback. They're two and six. What's happening yeah. there? <laughs> yeah, the world has changed, right? We got a lot of us. We got COVID. We got the changing economic model of college sports. Uh, the, lo the lawyer in me is fascinated yeah. by this amateurism model because I know a lot of athletic directors and university presidents. I do have some sensitivity to their budget realities as a business owner. I appreciate their end. Uh, but as someone who has seen some athletes exploited, uh, some star athletes give their universities far more than they get in return. Um, but who believes that, you know, 98% of athletes get a pretty good deal, room, board, tuition, cost of education, nice hotels, nice buses and, and airplanes, et cetera. I think the overwhelming majority of college athletes get a fair shake. I think what this is mostly about is that one to 2% uh, that the universities still want to be parts of the college system because they're often the superstars, uh, but they don't want to turn into complete professionals while they're still on campus. How do you find a middle ground there? Yeah. Yeah. That is fascinating to me. But, yeah, deep down inside, Tom, I love talking about the games and the players and the coaches. I'm glad we got into this, Dan, because if you look at this week's ACC football schedule, it's hard to get excited about any of the matchups. <laughs> I mean, I'm curious to see what undefeated Liberty does at an NC yeah. State team that might finish fifth in this league. Um, <laughs> the Wolfpack fans would be howling if Dave Doran can't beat Liberty. But we just saw Liberty beat Virginia Tech, and the Flames haven't lost yet. So that's the closest thing we have to a compelling ACC football game. So if we're ever going to go off the rails, today was the day. Well, it, if I've learned anything in 30-some years in this business, it's the appropriate time to go off the rails. Sometimes I go Amen. off un unintentionally, but sometimes there's a method to the madness. Dave, tell everybody <laughs> how they can find out more about what you do. Yeah, thanks, Dan. On Twitter, at David Glenn Show. Uh, online, accsports.com, the website we created way back in 1994. That is an independent website, unaffiliated with the Atlantic Coast Conference. They wish they had that domain name. And I'm contributing to The Athletic, where we just passed 1 million worldwide subscribers. So you can find my work at theathletic.com and theathleticcarolina. Oh, as always, Dave, fantastic stuff. Look forward to doing it again next week. Always fun. Dan, Tom, good to be with you guys. Have a great week. Yeah, Dave. All right, our interview with Keith Morehouse is coming up next as we remember the 50th anniversary of the Marshall University plane crash. We'll be back right after this. All right, we are back and continuing here on this latest edition of uh, 
the Dan Scott Show slash Grumpy Old Broadcasters. I am Dan Scott, and I want to give a shout-out to uh, Dory Kidd-Smith, uh, who is part of our Grumpy Old Broadcasters family, who is recovering from COVID. Uh, my parents, the original Dan Scott and my mother Barbara, both were diagnosed with COVID up in West Virginia this week. So this thing is still raging, as all the numbers tell us. So just be careful, be uh, be safe, try your best to stay socially distanced, do what uh, do what you can in this thing while still trying to live your life as normal as possible. Thankfully, neither of my parents have dramatic symptoms with this thing, so we uh, consider that to be a praise. As mentioned, uh, doing things a little bit differently today, I had the opportunity to uh, spend some time late last week with Keith Morehouse, whose father, Gene, was the play-by-play voice of Marshall University and was on the plane that crashed on November 14, 1970, coming back from a game at East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina. He was one of 75 who were killed in that plane crash, the worst tragedy in uh, professional or college sports history. Um, I've talked to Keith before, going back to, I think, 2006, when the movie We Are Marshall uh, had come out. Uh, he's a friend of mine, of course. He is uh, the current sports director of WSAZ Television in Huntington, West Virginia. We had a chance to talk about uh, the 50th anniversary and a television special that he did for his home te- TV station in West Virginia that, as of tonight, is now available online at WSAZ.com. Uh, here's what the conversation with Keith Morehouse sounded like. Every year when November 14th rolls around, usually it's just another weekend in the world of college football. You're heading towards Thanksgiving. There's nothing that makes that date stand out unless you're from the state of West Virginia, like I am. And then November 14th has uh, a completely different meaning. Uh, That is the date 50 years ago that uh, a plane crash took the lives of 75 members of the Marshall University football team, coaching staff, fans, and the crew of the airplane that was bringing them back from a game in East Carolina in Greenville, North Carolina. One of the men who was on that plane who was killed was the voice of the thundering herd, Gene Morehouse, joining us on the show today is the son of Gene Morehouse, Keith Morehouse, who is the sports director for WSAZ Television in the Charleston-Huntington, West Virginia area. And as much as it affects people like me from the state of West Virginia, it affects people obviously like Keith who uh, have that family connection uh, in a much more uh, dramatic and much deeper way. Keith, I really appreciate you joining us. How are you doing? And thank you for having me. And thanks, uh, thanks for your interest in in, in the story this week. Uh, I appreciate it. I, I was uh, talking with you before we started recording, and, and started out by saying it's been a busy week, but it's been a lot busier than that for a lot longer than just a week for you, hasn't it? It has. We uh, undertook this uh, earlier in the summer. I, you know, we obviously knew it was the fiftieth anniversary, and uh, my news director came up and said, "Hey, let's do an hour, an hour special." And I said, "Yeah, that'd be, that'd be great." And um, I said, "Let's uh, if we're going to do it, let's let's do it right, and um, we'll be all in on it." And um, so they were really gracious to, you know, I said, "Let's go where we need to go and talk to the people we need to talk to to, to try to accurately, you know, um, I guess mem- memorialize and celebrate, if that's the right word, the 50, uh, 50th anniversary and the people that we lost." and so anyway, Dan, we went to Annapolis, Maryland, talked to Jack Langle, who coached the Unthundering Herd the year after the crash, um, which was a, you know, a phenomenal um, gesture by him to come to this program that was broken, basically. And then we went to uh, Lexington to talk to Chad Pennington, a former NFL star, Marshall Hall of Famer, who's a high school football coach. And he knows the legacy of the of the, the, the 75 who we lost as well as anybody. Um, also talked to Red Dawson, an assistant coach who was on a recruiting trip and drove back from Greenville. He did not make the trip and uh, Red uh, opened up to us and uh, also went down to Greenville, which was really one of the parts of the stories I hadn't told before, but met up with three players who played for East Carolina that day. And, and the thought was, Hey, how did this affect them? Just, you know, we know it from the West Virginia side of things and Marshall and, and how, you know, how much of an impact it had, but it really affected the East Carolina football players as well to line up against the thundering herd that day. And they, you know, butted heads for 60 minutes in a really good game. 
And uh, so they uh, they shared their memories of how it's affected them throughout their lives. And they were very forthcoming and emotional and, and welcoming and all those things that, that you need to help tell good stories. And so they were great about that. And then at the very end, then we uh, unearthed some game film of the game. And I've seen snippets of it. And then by luck and fortune and, and the help of a, a guy named Steve Chapman, who worked on the Ashes to Glory documentary years ago, he found a DVD. He found a VHS tape of my dad's entire radio call of the game and put it on DVD and brought it to us. And one of our guys here at work uh, worked for about a week to sync up the audio of the game from dad's call with the game film. And so the last two segments are like five minute segments of highlights from the first half and second half, which as you can imagine, is chilling to hear and haunting and, and eerie, but it was, a I I thought a really, uh, uh, I guess, um, uh, memorable way to, to wrap up the special. So it's been a labor of love and, and, and really thankful that we had the opportunity to tell the story. Was there a part of you, Keith, that really didn't want to hear it, but you had to, or, or is it something that you wanted to hear and you, you wanted to include in this? Well, you know, we really, uh, once we found out we had it and we could sync it up, we thought, well, this could be really neat because, you know, you see those names on the monument, Dan, and you watch those players, but then you, you put numbers, uniform numbers with, oh, there's number 61, the offensive line, you know, and so to hear those those names and to hear dad call their names, uh, it humanizes those those youngsters, those, those guys were just kids, right? And so I wanted to do that. Uh, there were parts of it we left out and, and uh I, uh, I sat down with the guy that Jeff Perry was my friend who was editing this. And he says, I don't know if you want to hear this, but I'm going to play it for you. We're not going to put it in the special, but dad's on the call. And he says, you know, the skies are kind of darkening over Greenville as we get ready to wrap this game up. And he says, and we uh, will, but we'll see you back in Huntington. We should get back home about eight o'clock. And I just went, Oh, wow. And so to hear that stuff is, is haunting and, and uh, in some ways, but I, I wouldn't, have it any other way dan to, to have to have the opportunity to hear that game and to listen and to be on that very same field i mean that's the same stadium it's much nicer now in greenville dowdy ficklin stadium but to be on the very same side that those guys played on the very part of the earth of that last game uh is, is kind of mesmerizing and I'm, I'm privileged to have had that opportunity to to, to do that and also to hear dad's call of it yeah up, up until covid shut down everything i was doing a little video show specifically for Furman fans and over the last three or four seasons every time this came around or every three or four years every time this came around I always did a, a little tribute to Marshall and one of the things that that I play every year is something you can find on YouTube and it's a very grainy uh looks like coach's film uh, of the final few plays of that game and uh, there's there's no audio with it, uh, obviously, and it's it's hard to tell numbers or anything like that. I'm sure you've seen it dozens and dozens of mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. But it's something I share with my audience here, and, and I do it because it, it was the one way that I could just share with everybody the, the, the feelings that, that those of us from the state of West Virginia have about this is how we're always going to remember them. You know, Now they would be in their early and mid-70s. This this is them at, you know, somewhere between 18 and 22 years old. And and now uh, this is the way I think most people want to try and remember them. Yeah, it really does help. And you're right. I mean, even talking to the East Carolina players, I I got their pictures from the uh, media guide. And, and then uh, we superimposed them over their faces today. And I mean, they, you, the, obviously, the, the the way they look then, the way they look now is so it's it just it was such a neat uh, part of the story. And to watch them, you know, go into their memory banks to recall that day, uh, it, it was mesmerizing, to be honest. And you're right about the, the faces and the names. I mean, this year, Marshall did something they'd never done before, but they they're hanging banners on campus. And there, there is a, there's a picture and a banner of everybody we lost that night. And, and that helps people to realize, like I said, you read the names. But now, uh, as you walk through the campus, you know, I, I never knew what the pilot looked like. I never knew what the flight crew looked like. Uh, how about the equipment managers and the training staff? And, you know, just people that you heard their names. But now you put a face with a name. And it's, it was a really first-class gesture by Marshall to do that. So I agree with you. I think this helps to to humanize them, give them uh, life, if you will, as as so people can remember them for that as just opposed to a name on a monument. We're visiting with Keith Morehouse, who is the uh, sports director of WSAZ Television in the Huntington and Charleston, West Virginia area. And, of course, his dad was one of the 75 
who uh, died on that plane crash 50 years ago back on Saturday. The, the television special uh, that Keith put together is called A Change of Season 50 Novembers Ago, and it, it aired on Thursday of last week, Keith, and I guess our timing is right. This show is airing and the podcast is dropping on Monday, and tonight is when it's going to become available for everyone to watch widespread online, correct? Right, and they can watch it on WSAZ.com, and I'm sure if you go to our page, they'll have a link to it, and also our Facebook page, if people do Facebook, uh, we'll have that link up on Monday, So, and it will stay up there, I think, for uh, as long as it's you know they want it to, so that'll give everybody a chance who doesn't live you know in our TV market to have a chance to see it. It also is going to air on WITN in, in Greenville. Uh, well, it did over the weekend, Dan, and they may run it again, I'm not sure, but but there, there will be ways that people can see it, and, and uh, anybody that follows me on Twitter, uh, social media. I'll keep kind of people abreast of when they can watch it and, and where some of the outlets are where they can see it. But uh, I, I appreciate all the, the people who've reached out and have been so kind to, to comment on the show. And uh, it was it was uh, definitely worth the effort. And um, like I said, kind of the kind of the opportunity of a lifetime to tell it. Yeah, and and there's a, there's a connection here. I know there's a big interest in our part of the country simply because of Marshall's connection to the Southern Conference. Uh, but before they begin to make their move up the ladder after the uh, after uh, you know all those years recovering uh, from the plane crash, so people down here are, are obviously very interested in it as well. So I can't wait to share that with them. Keith, you were you were nine years old when mm-hmm. the plane crash went what happened, uh, and and your father and the other seventy four went down. So you're now obviously, uh, I won't say how much older, but older than he was uh, when he passed away. And 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 you've chosen to stay around Huntington all this time, but dis- despite having opportunities to leave, why why have you decided to stay in the Huntington area? Well, that's a great question. I, you know, there were chances and th- thoughts here and there. I, I, um, I, I think, Dan, that, that you grew up, when we grew up, the time we grew up in, the, the, the community and the city sort of adopted us, if that sounds right. I mean, were they, they, um, those of us who I, – I lost one parent. My wife lost both her parents, um, and there were several uh, children that lost both their parents. So it, I feel like the city has, has always kind of reached out, and, and Marshall's a special place. And, and then, you know, I had the opportunity uh, from 96 to 2004 to call – football and basketball games on TV for Marshall. And that was when Chad Bennington and Randy Moss and Byron left, which was in basketball was, was doing well in the mid American conference. And, and so I, I guess I, you mentioned dad, I, I'm now 11 years older than he was when he passed away. And I kind of always felt like maybe he didn't get to finish the job. I mean, he loved the state of West Virginia, even though he was from New Jersey, he kind of was a transplanted West Virginian and he loved Marshall. And, um, uh, maybe this was is my way of just uh, you know kind of helping him finish the job through me and and so I, I just think it's a special place and and raised my family here and and we've we've uh, we've enjoyed living here so it's is it is it uh, yeah I mean were there chances and and can you make more money elsewhere yeah you can, you know, are there bigger cities certainly but this has always been a special place and it's always been home so I think it's I guess it's where we belong and what you've been rewarded with obviously is is seeing the football program literally rise from the ashes and, and become uh, first a, a, a Division One AA or now FCS national power and, and, and now move on to the FBS level and, and having tremendous success again. I, I, when I talk about my time at Marshall, it's usually centered around uh, the, the joke of being a preacher's son turned loose in the world for the first time. I was there for exactly one semester, and that was the fall of 1985. <laughs> But that was the year, I believe, they had their first winning season, or maybe it was the previous year, 1984. 84. Yeah, 8-84. Uh, under uh, Stan Parrish, Carl Fodor was the quarterback, and, and that was yep. the, that was kind of the beginning of, uh, of the resurgence. Two years later, they would play for the national championship and lose with George Chompa, head coach, and I think Tony Peterson was the quarterback. Mm-hmm. But that kind of yep. started it all. But there was a, a long period of time where people thought that, that Marshall, not only when not see that kind of success may never see another winning season yeah those were dark times dan uh, uh you know from from you know you you go back to when they they had the five losing seasons before the crash so it was 20 years before they had a winning season in football so the the years immediately from 71 to 84 uh you know that's when i was growing up and I, you know you just wondered could they ever shake this man can marshall ever be 
good in football and, and you didn't know honestly you didn't and, and there was no indication that they would be it was a basketball school uh for the longest time and uh, then then you mentioned that 84 that winning season kind of got them out and then they went to the national championship in 97 and 87 and and went back in 91 and they lost a close one to, to Youngstown State in Georgia. And then the next year won the first one in, in over Youngstown State on a last second field goal from a guy who had never kicked a college field goal before. His brother had been suspended from the team. And, and that was jubilation and, and, you know, emotion flowed into the streets that day. And from then on, just great coaches and the programs just persevered and, and you know, really has, has become kind of a metaphor for how you respond to adversity in your life and get back up. And that's what this program has done. And so it's been, it's really been rewarding uh, to, to watch it come full circle. Visiting with Keith Morehouse here on the program and on the uh, Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast. Keith, I won't keep you much longer, but I, I got to ask you, 50 is one of those numbers. It's one of those milestones, you know, whether it's a good milestone or in this case, obviously a very somber milestone. But do you, you were asked or, or the question was brought up in a great story that Chuck McGill did on you that mm-hmm. uh, came out a little earlier this week. Why is 50 any different than, than 49? What do you know now uh, or what could you have told now that, that hadn't been told in, in 49 previous uh, years? Uh, and that was a, a great question by Chuck. And you know this in the business. Uh, we, we tend to gravitate toward round numbers, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think the reason it's bigger is because when it is bigger than maybe out-of-state media and maybe the uh, CBS College is, is, uh, sports, is, is uh, they did the Marshall game this past weekend, and they've, they've obviously told the story. And so I, I guess there's more national interest, so there's more interest focused on Huntington and, 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 the, and, the, uh, and, and where we are. But for those, uh, I mean, for me, this week in November is always, uh, you know, a somber kind of poignant time where you have your own reflections about, you know, losing people. But the attention, I guess, is is uh, more glaring and the light is a little brighter on, on the 50th. But telling the, the story, I mean, I, I guess maybe all those years later, I became more com- Maybe I wouldn't have put dad's voice on, on a show that I, I produced and hosted and worked with so many people here to put together. I don't know that maybe I, maybe I wouldn't have been able to do it. Um, but I think also, as you, you know, Jack Lengel's 85 now, Dan, and to, to hear him, you know, talk about it and Red Dawson's 78. And I think as, as people get older and they, they tend to open up, uh, maybe a little bit more and they're, you know, you're more aware of, Hey, this was such a monumental part of your life. And, and how does it feel now? So maybe just the years that go by, uh, put a little more emphasis on it, but it's always there and it's always going to be here. And, uh, regardless of, of the number, whether it's a round number or whether it's 51. I mean, it's just it's just there, and, and you know that. Has it crossed the line from memorial slash funeral to a celebration of the lives? That, that's well put, and, and I, I think, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, because, uh, you know, I remember when the movie folks came to town in, in uh, 2006 and they wanted to make that movie, I, I distinctly remember the screenplay writer, Jamie Linden, saying to all of us, he said, I don't think that they could have told this story until now. Now is, you know, at that point, it's what, 35 years later. And so maybe you had to put some distance before people could actually tell this story and and, and, and be able to deal with it. For Red Dawson, he, could, he couldn't talk about it for years. And now he's been able to maybe become a little more open about it. So, yeah, I think that's incumbent upon us to celebrate those lives. And that's what those banners do. And that's what having, you know, dad's call of the game and listening to those names and watching those young men play ball. I, I think that, like I said before, I, uh, it just humanizes every the ones that we lost. And and you pay respects to all of them. And, and looking up at those banners and seeing those faces and, uh, I, I think uh, I do think it's it, it resonates more and it becomes a celebration, not in the kind of celebration that we think of, but uh, a celebration of a very somber, sad time, but that many, many positives have come out of. Final question for you. Doc Holliday has made you a regular speaker to, to the Marshall football program. When when you do address the team Give us the Cliff Notes version. What does your talk normally entail? It's pretty. It is pretty quick, Dan. I, I, those guys run about a mile and a half from the stadium up to the Spring Hill Cemetery, where that monument is. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's that's quite a little jaunt for those guys. So I, I thank them first of all for coming up, and then, you know, I, I basically in a nutshell just tell them, um, you know, why the program is so important to the school when it was almost taken away. It was taken away from those seventy-five, and I, I tell them that you know 
don't take it for granted when you when you come out of that tunnel and that those fans are going nuts and and how much they appreciate every game that you play because it, it, life was fleeting and and is fleeting for a lot of us and so uh, you know I tell them to to treasure the opportunity and uh, they are intent. And remember, these are guys that are 20 years old. They haven't, they weren't even born. Many of them don't know the story until they get here or they've seen the movie. So for them to see that physical monument and, 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 and you watch it click in their brains. And then you see every time they go out and play that 75 game. I mean, Doc hasn't lost one yet. I think he's seven and oh in those games where they wear those helmets. So they, trust me, they, they strap it on a little tighter for that game and they play hard. And so just to, just, I figure if they're going to make all that effort to come up to that monument, and and do what they do for the program, then it's the least I can do is say a few words and tell them thank you. Every year on November 14th, the Fountain Monument outside the Student Center on Marshall's campus is turned off as part of a ceremony in remembrance of the 75 who were lost. This is the 50th anniversary of that, and uh, we're just really appreciative, Keith, of you being able to spend some time with us, I know you've done a dozen uh, or more of these interviews uh, along with everything else you've been working on. And and 50 years later, I know it still can't be easy in talking about the loss of your dad, but I think it's an important story that needs to be told, and you're to be commended for being willing to do it. Well, thank you, Dan, for having me. And I, I do a lot of this, and I, I always think in my mind, it's a, you know, it's it's everybody asking from a different vantage point. And it, and, and I thank you for your interest in the story, and everybody who who has you know inquired about it and continues to inquire about the Marshall story. And it's my pleasure to to join you and and others and to talk about it because uh, it's it's a it's it's a worthwhile um, uh, way to spend some time. And and I thank you for your for your friendship and for your interest. And I appreciate you having me on. Keith, thank you very much. We appreciate it. That's Keith Morehouse. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more in just a moment. All right, we are back. And uh, from a radio standpoint, just enough time to say goodbye our thanks to Dave Glenn, accsports.com and theathletic.com. Our thanks to Tom Van Hoy, as always, for joining us. And our thanks to Keith Morehouse for uh, continuing to uh, keep the memory of those 75 who lost their lives in the Marshall plane crash 50 years ago this past Saturday. We'll be back with you again next week here on WZLA slash uh, Grumpy Old Broadcasters. For the radio audience, Lee Collins is coming up next. The podcast, again, is brought to you by our friends at TodaroPizza.com, T-O-D-A-R-O, Pizza.com. They're located at um, on Markley Street on the west side of downtown Greenville. Listen, you folks have a great rest of your day, and we will see you again next time. Try to get the music right as we get out of here. i got to get on my producer, which means I'm going to go to the mirror and yell at myself here in just a moment. Until next time, I'm Dan Scott saying God bless you all and so long, everybody.